All right, this is uh, paramedic review unit two, part two C, uh, airway cases. So this is uh, sort of a combination airway case and other case, but th this scenario I'm going to give you is uh, it's a classic uh, scenario for an oral test with the base hospital uh, and or the service. And uh, so you respond to hockey arena for a 10 year old male player who's lying on the ice and he's bleeding profusely. What's your first priority? Scene safety. Yeah, so first impression, scene safety. And um, you're gonna look at a couple of things. You're gonna think about uh, how you're gonna get across the ice safely. Are you gonna take the stretcher with you, not with you? What would, would you take the stretcher across the ice? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would take it with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. One of those yeah, I'm gonna drop them. You walk with it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can use the stretcher to stabilize yourself. Um, make sure the stretcher's in the down position, you know, not in the highest level position because it tips over too easily. I can tell you, um, uh, so, yeah, I would take the, uh, the stretcher across the ice unless there's some reason, like, you've got to go up a series of steps and you can't get the stretcher up the stairs or something, one of those hydraulic stretchers. So you make your first impressions. Uh, from a distance, he looks pale and drowsy. Um, he's bleeding from what appears to be a lacerated external jugular vein. The coach is holding direct pressure uh, with a towel and is afraid to move the towel. So what are you going to do in the first 30 seconds? There's two of you there, and you can each take separate roles. What are you going to do? Thomas? Um, apply pressure to the jugular, and then the other one assists so there's one, uh, there's a coach is applying pressure to the, to the wound. Uh, and yeah, the lead medic's going to do airway breathing. Uh, and you're, as the driver paramedic, you're probably going to look after the, uh, the circulatory component. But um, is direct pressure enough for an external jugular laceration, do you think? Is that a shallow laceration or a deep laceration? It'll be deep. It'll be deep. It takes a deep cut to lacerate the external jugular, even though it looks like it's on the surface. I can tell you, when you try to cannula it with an IV, you have to go pretty deep. So would you pack it? You would pack it, yeah. You've got to pack it. Now we have that at our disposal. you got to pack it. So the coach keeps the pressure on it, but you're going to pack it. So while the coach is holding pressure, you're going to get out your packing and you're going to be mentally preparing to get this packing in and get it in fast and also have a backup dressing to put on top of the packing, right? So, so you want to get prepared basically as the driver paramedic while your partner's doing ABs, uh, airway and breathing. Pressure dressings or yeah. hemostatic? So hemostatic packing, packing followed by pressure dressing. Okay. Yeah. Now, um, there's a problem with a pressure dressing on a neck wound like that. What is it? Yeah, so what's the problem though? What's, what's different about pressure dressing on this wound versus pressure dressing anywhere else on the body? How do you get pressure on it apart from just your hand? Let's just don't overthink this. Yeah, you can't wrap it around the neck. So you can't wrap it around the neck, you can't tie it, right? So you're, 
stuck holding it the entire time. Yes. Sir. Nah, wouldn't do it. No, like I wouldn't even. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put a C collar on because uh, one, it's not going to maintain the pressure that you want, and two, it's not a high priority at this point. So, um, uh, do you want to keep the C spine immobilized? Yeah, you might. That might be a consideration, but C spine is probably not your priority. Paul. For sure, okay. for sure. Yeah, as long as you're comfortable that the bleeding is stopped. Um, before we get on to the scenario, how much time would you spend on scene with a guy like this? Mark? Uh, the ideal would be less than 10 minutes, but ideally just get out of there as quick as you can. Get out of there as quick as you possibly can, yeah. So if you can keep it under three minutes or under two minutes, Time's going to go by much faster than you think. You'll be on the scene for what you think is two minutes, and then you'll realize it's 12. So you're, you're, you're going to race to get out of there. And people are going to be frantic, right? Especially, especially the parents, if they're there. So they're going to be freaking out. Um, so if you get a question like this in the base hospital, the physician wants to, to know from you that your most critical priority is um, attempting to get that bleeding under control and getting out of there. So, so even if you're not successful in getting that bleeding completely stopped, getting out of there as quickly as you possibly can because um, the emergency department can put hemostats on that and um, uh, you know, you may be looking at all kinds of complications with that kid, like a stroke, uh, all kinds of issues, right? If it was a carotid artery, that kid would probably would have bled out by the time he got there. Um, so, uh, you assess the airway and breathing, he's gurgling, and uh, he's pale, he's drowsy, uh, so probably at least 500 mils of blood on the ice, which could be a lot for a 10-year-old. For, you know, 500 for you, pff, nothing, no big deal, right? 500 for a 10-year-old, a little bit more significant, yeah? Have you ever watched that video of uh, the goalie, Clint Malarcha? No. Does he get cut in the neck? Does he? Oh yeah. Yeah. And you it just like it literally little couple drops and then all of a sudden it's just died. covered. And does he bleed out? Does, did no, he die? No, trainer got and like jammed his finger in his neck. Mm. Off really? Ain't that's awesome. Amazing. Well. Because huh? it was an NHL game. So it was telephone. Oh, yeah. Is that seen on uh, YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. I'd show it, but we don't stick our fingers in and, and clamp off vessels with our fingers. So it's just, fortunately now we have um, some wound packing dressings and that works well. So, so um, his air movement appears to be adequate. Um, uh, but uh, he's got some gurgling in the airway, so we suction the airway, it's clear, and um, you assess the adequacy of pressure uh, by the coach, but th this, actually before the suctioning of the airway happens, your partner will be putting the hemostatic dressings in the wound, packing the wound. And we do pack the wound, that's the message you're getting, right? From medics you work with, because when we first got the hemostatic dressings, I don't know if I told you this, but at our CME, um, 
the instructors seemed to be of, of the impression from the Ministry of Health that, that the dressings were just used to put on top of the wound. And um, uh, so I had a bit of an argument with one of the instructors. I said, I'm not putting it on top of the wound. I said, look at the packaging. This is for wound packing. The specific purpose is to pack it into the wound, like pack it all in um, so that the, the hemostasis actually has the potential to, to work. I mean, it's useless on top of the wound because the bleeding continues underneath and the hematoma just continues to expand. You've got to shove it into the wound. It's ideally suited for like a, you know, a, a high velocity um, uh, injury to the leg or something where you've got a big gaping wound from a, from a rifle and you can just pack that in. Um, so we assess the bleed and transport. So um, vitals and everything waits till you get en route. Forget the vital signs at the scene. There's no time for vital signs. Um, this is basic pre-hospital trauma life support stuff. By the way, how many of you are uh, planning to take PHTLS during the break? Okay. Um, have you done the uh, online uh, theory portion yet? Okay, so. I haven't really got much information. Okay, I'll talk to Randy about that, but you'll need to do the. Yeah, you'll need to do the theory. So there are two, one or two approaches to PHTLS. We can do it as a two-day course where one day is theory and the other day is hands-on. You don't want to do that. It's horrible. Um, the other option is, um, unfortunately, you've got to pay the cost, but it's about, I think it's $39. Um, do the theory part online, and uh, I'll send a link to Randy. And the videos are actually quite good. Randy... Julia, myself, Marilyn, a whole bunch of us went through it and I found the videos very informative. I thought they were quite good. It's just like a video and a quiz, video and a quiz, video and a quiz. It'll take you about four hours to get through it, uh, but it's, it's good. And you've got the textbook. I use that as a reference. It's, a, it's actually a good book. It's one of the better books we've ever recommended for the class. And um, so you'll need to get that done, print off a certificate and bring it to the the hands-on component. And then that day it'll be all hands-on. We'll also need some volunteer patients, so if anyone's interested in doing that, we'll do I think I emailed Randy about that. Already. Lashi, yeah, okay. Well, isn't, isn't right yeah, or your job interviews or yeah. anything like that, yeah. No um, so with this patient, would yeah. you be worried about airway swelling because of the trauma to the throat? Would you want to intubate? Is that a no, no, it wouldn't be a priority wouldn't be a priority, but yes, we would. I would be worried about uh, airway because you're worried about bleeding happening beneath the, the wound and, and hematoma developing and that compromises the trachea, but, but no, I wouldn't, wouldn't be thinking about intubating. And, and you're going to spend so little time on scene, and if you're in an urban center, you're going to spend so little time on transport. Um, intubation's not going to be a consideration. It'll be, it'll be if, if required, PPV for a short period. and. Uh, so um, you want to take someone with you, ideally another medic, and if one's not available, a firefighter. And um, IV access, fluid bolus, PRN. We seem to be at this point in time now where there's a great deal of debate around. Uh, the medical directive hasn't changed. We're still doing 20 cc's per kilo if they're hypotensive, but um, we seem to have reached this point where uh, there's a great deal of debate and discussion 
uh, about whether we should be bolusing anyone who's in hypovolemic shock or whether we should just let their pressure drop. And um, uh, there's a camp that feels that uh, the pressure should drop below 60 before we start resuscitating. That's a very arbitrary number. Maybe that's lower in, in, uh, in children and maybe we should be looking at the mean arterial pressure instead of the blood systolic blood pressure. But uh, just know that that in the next five years that discussion is coming and so you may find that in um, hemorrhagic shock we may not be fluid resuscitating anymore and hopefully we'll abandon normal saline and move to ringer's lactate which is a better solution. I think the research has pretty much uh, condemned normal saline now. It's not the solution of choice because it's not electrolyte balance. It's a hyperchloremic solution, so people develop a hyperchloremic acidosis, you know, from four, five, six liters of normal saline. So Ringers is a better solution. Did someone have their hand up? No? Okay. Uh, so um, he becomes unresponsive, GCS is six, so we try an OPA, PPV, maintain pressure on the wound, update the trauma center, you're coming in CTAS one. Any questions about that case? Uh, again, the take-home message here is if this becomes a verbal scenario with a base hospital or something, what the base hospital doc wants to hear is that you're gonna, your priority is to control the bleeding and how you're going to control the bleeding and that you're going to spend minimum time on scene. You know, so the doc may try to throw you a little bit, might say, well, um, you know, you put the the hemostatic dressings in, you pack the wound, you put a dressing on, but you still see a bit of blood um, leaking around the, the dressing, what are you gonna do? And the answer is, gonna transport the patient to hospital, take another, you know, add another pressure dressing on the way. Um, aren't you gonna do some vital science at the scene? No, not a priority, you know. We've already managed, we've started to manage the bleed, we've controlled the airway, we're on our way, we gotta get out of here. The key is time of injury to time of surgery. Right. And in the ER, they might be able to put hemostats on those vessels. Yeah. Are you worried about clotting? I'm hoping there'll be <laughs> clotting. Worried about like anomalous? No. No, you're worried about death. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, and and um, you know. Uh, I'm glad you asked that question because um, you know you guys are coming to the end of the program and you're going to be entering the field soon and it's great to have academic discussions and to think critically and to think sort of uh, short-term long-term complications and things like that but um, at some point in your patient care when you you may have to say to yourself I'm overthinking this think simple do some brain stapling focus on your priorities right stop the bleed, control the airway, get that out of there, right? You don't worry about it. But yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always gonna be long-term complications. And um, uh, if there's anything you can do to avoid those, you're gonna do that. But um, packing uh, the wound with, uh, is it time to wake up? Packing the wound with, uh, with hemostatic dressings is, is not a worry. Okay.